Well, last week we started a new series called Just a Mist, and that title is really a metaphor for the brevity of life. And anytime a preacher talks about the brevity of really anything, uh, it is inevitable, or at least pretty inevitable, that they're going to get some comment or some joke back at them about the brevity or lack thereof, usually. Usually preachers don't struggle with the brevity of sermons, but the, the lack of brevity of, uh, of their sermons, which is kind of surprising why this week I didn't really hear from any of you uh, about the brevity or lack of brevity of my sermons. Maybe you think that, uh, you, you know, maybe you're just being kind. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you didn't think of them. Maybe you think it won't make any difference anyways. I, I don't know, but uh, I didn't hear from you, so I was kind of surprised I didn't hear any comments this week about that, but it reminds me of a story I heard about a preacher who was scheduled to speak at a gospel meeting, and uh, he was one of several preachers or a couple of preachers who were scheduled to speak that evening, and they were all kind of up on stage, and, and they were all supposed to speak about 15 minutes, uh, just a short little talk, 15 minutes, and, and then the next one would go, and the next one after that, and uh, so all the preachers were up there, and this guy was the, the first one up there, and he started to, uh, to talk, and and he went for 15 minutes, and then he went for 30 minutes, and then pretty soon he hit the 45-minute mark, and it wasn't long before he hit the hour mark, and everybody's starting to get restless at this point, even the preachers who are sitting behind him, and one man had finally had enough. He was sitting on the front row, and he just finally had enough, and so he picked up a songbook out of the pew, and he threw it at the preacher. Well, fortunately, the preacher saw it coming and was able to duck. Uh, and it missed him, but unfortunately, it ended up hitting one of the preachers sitting behind the preacher who was talking. And as the preacher sitting behind him was going down from the blow, you could hear him say, Hit me again! I can still hear him preaching! Well, thankfully, you can't throw books through the screen at me today. Uh, that's one of the blessings, I guess, of preaching online. Uh, but hopefully you won't have to anyways because I'm not going to go that long. I promise you that. After all, this series is on the brevity of life, and so maybe I should uh, keep that in mind a little bit. But speaking of our series, as I said last week, the, the aim of this series is not to intimidate you. As we talk about the, the idea of the brevity of life, the shortness of life, the, the idea of talking about this subject is not meant to intimidate us. Scripture doesn't mean to intimidate us. God Ultimately, the author of Scripture doesn't mean to intimidate us or, or to make us feel anxious or worried about this subject, but rather to, to liberate us. That's the aim of this series, is to liberate us and to, to hopefully help us to recalibrate our priorities, to line up with the consistent biblical witness regarding the brevity of our lives. Because all of the scriptural metaphors for an average lifespan in the Bible makes the same point. The dash is short. Vapor, shadow, breath, grass, dust. These are the words the Bible uses to describe the dash that you and I have in this life. But there's one other word that scripture uses, and it's the word that we're focusing in on in this series in particular, and it's from James chapter 4, verse 14. It says, what is your life? Your life is what? Just a mist. As we talked about last week, we all have a birth date and we all have an expiration date and you don't have any say about the first date and you have very, really very little to say about the second and you don't know when it's going to be anyways. But here's what you do get a say in. You get to do something about your dash. 
And because it's brief, Scripture says that you need to number your days and count them so that your days will count. And so we're going to be looking in Scripture at different perspectives as people deal with the reality of the brevity of life. And we're going to begin today by looking at a man by the name of Solomon. You know, the Bible is full of what we're going to call missed takes today. It's one of the reasons why we have this book that we're going to be in today called Ecclesiastes. And we're going to be looking at a couple of missed takes from Solomon. You know, Ecclesiastes is a pretty interesting book. It's kind of a tough book to kind of wrap our minds around sometimes. Uh, But later on in his life, Solomon began to more and more kind of move away from this close walk he had with God earlier on in his life. And in many ways, he kind of became a secularist. And in the book Ecclesiastes, he, he uses this phrase over and over again, under the sun. And he talks when he uses that phrase about the created world. And he starts to see life and and his life primarily through uh, the perspective of of the horizontal. He doesn't really bring the divine into uh, his worldview. He only sees the created instead of the creator. And as he wrestles with life's problems from a horizontal perspective, he's overwhelmed with one truth. The reality of man's mortality. Under the sun, he's, he's overwhelmed with this truth that, that man is mortal, that, that we don't live forever in this life. He wrestles with the fact that everybody at some point checks out of Motel Earth. And the lasting impression that bothers him is that nothing is lasting. Now, some read him as a pessimist, others read him as a realist. Either way, he's kind of, as I said, a secularist who really has no answer that's going to pass the acid test of death. And the thing he constantly remembers is that nothing and nobody will be constantly remembered. For example, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 16, he writes, For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. He goes on to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That is why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. And so just really super uplifting and encouraging, right? You know, make you, make you feel good again for coming to church today. And he's got a special word, though, that, that he uses over and over again as he wrestles with the reality of mortality. And the word, depending on your translation, is one of two words, either vanity or meaningless. He starts the book with that very theme, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. And here's what's so interesting. The Hebrew word that's translated vanity or, or uh, meaningless in, in, our, in our English translations is the Hebrew word hebel. You know what it means? It simply means vapor, mist, breath. And throughout the Bible, it's used metaphorically. For example, in, in Psalm chapter 144, verses 3 and 4, O Lord, what are human beings that you should notice them? 
mere mortals that you should think about them, for they are like Hebel, a breath of air. Their days are like a passing shadow. And really, nobody uses that word more than Solomon, and he uses it metaphorically to show that death ultimately mocks the notion that created things are solid and satisfying, no matter how much they may pretend to be. He says, to try to find ultimate meaning under the sun in this world is like chasing the wind. And if that's what you're doing, if you're trying to find meaning in life by chasing created things, things that are under the sun, you are involved in the inevitably disappointing task of vapor management. And so Solomon proposes a couple of missed takes. The first one is for the, fit, for the cynic. He says you can be pointless driven. That's the first take. You can be pointless driven. You can live your life as a cynic and say, well, what's the point anyway? Because one thing Ecclesiastes does is it challenges the simple dualistic interpretations of life. You, you know what I mean? Those, those simple naive philosophies that basically say, if you'll just be good, then good things will happen. And if you're bad, then that's when bad things happen. I mean, this is basically what Job's friends were telling him. Job, the reason you have problems is because you are a problem. You've created the problems. And, and that's not to say that our choices and our decisions uh, and our actions don't have consequences, because they do. That's not at all what I'm saying. But Solomon knows that there's more to it than just that, because he studied life. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15, I have seen everything in this meaningless life including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. And listen, we've all seen this too. I, I, I have never, thankfully, I guess, uh, had to do the funeral or a funeral for a little baby. But I know pastor friends of mine who have. And I've done plenty of funerals for people who, who were young and good people who died way too young. I mean, I think about my wife's sister, Wendy. She was just 42 years old. And so we all know this reality. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14, and this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. And you know, one reason I think we have a book like Ecclesiastes in, in our Bible is because God knows that deep down, we think these thoughts. You know, we wrestle with the sometimes absurdity that life is. I mean, sweet people, good people can have a life full of burdens and grumps and cranks can live with blessings into their 80s and 90s, right? And if you've never thought about just this absurdity that we see in our world around us, then, then either you've got your, buried, your head buried in the sand or your eyes just aren't open to, to, to what's going on. And God knows that, that honest people with honest hearts every now and then wrestle with the question, what's the point? Now, some people say, well, here's the point. You can find meaning in life if you'll just earn enough, if you'll just sleep with enough people, or if you'll just build big enough buildings, or if you'll just get enough degrees. And Solomon says, I've been down all of those roads, literally all of them he went down, every single one. And Solomon would say, they're all missed. They're all missed. And so he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17, I came to hate life 
Because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I was reading a story not too long ago about this dog track in dog racetrack in Florida where they um, they you know, race draw dogs. Obviously, that's what they do. But they they have this electronic rabbit uh, that the dogs chase around the track, and people will bet on obviously which dog is the fastest. But this particular day, the story goes that there was a this particular day there was a malfunction, and the electronic rabbit just stopped on the track, and the dogs caught it, because they, they the point is they don't catch it right. They're still chasing it all the way around, and so they don't they don't catch it. But this time they caught it, but then they didn't know what to do with it. They they jumped up and down and they yelped because they had never caught the rabbit, and once they did, they weren't satisfied. It's a pretty good metaphor for life sometimes, isn't it? And Solomon says, if you're chasing after those things that are under the sun, you're just chasing mist. You, you can't build a life on those things. Every road he went down ultimately proved to be a cul-de-sac because it doesn't matter how you play your hand if death holds the trump card, right? Do you remember the moment when you finally face the reality of your mortality. Maybe you haven't had a moment yet, but if you have, maybe it was uh, you were in a car accident or some kind of accident, maybe almost in an accident where you, you know, that proverbial phrase, phrase your life flashes before your eyes. Maybe you got a really bad uh, report from a doctor that just kind of sunk in and, and hit you. For me, I've had a, a lot of little flashes, things along the way. Uh, but really, this past year for me has been such an eye-opener, just with everything that's gone on. And I, I wasn't fearful. I, I'm, not, I'm not fearful of death. I mean, I'm, I don't have a death wish. I don't want to die. But, but all of these things that have happened over this past year have, have really just been making me more and more aware, more than I ever have before, about the reality of my own mortality. And add to that the fact that in just a few months, I'm going to turn 40. I was talking to somebody uh, just today that was talking about how uh, she, she said, when I hit 40, I felt like my life was over. And, and now I'm in my 70s and I you know, feel so much better now that I've got a new perspective on life because of some, some things that have happened. But she said, man, at 40 was a rough one for me. So I was like, thanks, that's something to look forward to. But, you know, I, I'm thinking I've lived half of my life or almost half of the average, you know, lifespan of, a, of, a, of an American. And so it's just that, that reality has, has hit me more and more and more. And so you could do the whole pointless driven take and just live your life as a bitter, bitter cynic saying, what's the point? We're all just going to die. But it's here that Solomon takes a little bit of a detour. And he offers this. Uh, he says there's another way to take the fact that we are just missed, and, and that is that you could be not pointless driven, but you could be pleasure driven. You can be pleasure driven. I mean, since we're all going to die anyways, right? Solomon says you ought to do all the living while you can. You're never going to be able to manage vapor, and so what you need to do is learn how to find the joy that is in every day while understanding at the same time that you can't control the outcomes. And so just Live today. You can't really control anything about tomorrow. And so enjoy what you have today. And in fact, in, in some ways, that sounds a little bit like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 27, he says, Which of you by worrying are going to be able to add even one hour to your life? 
And so Solomon would say, well, since you can't add years to your life, you might as well add life to your years. Stop just dashing through life and start living the dash. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy our, ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15. So I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. So go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your grape juice with a happy heart for God approves of this. You see, if the atheists can argue the problem of pain, and they do. One of the main arguments, biggest questions of atheism is if there is a good God, why is there so much pain in our world? But if the atheist can argue the problem of pain, then the theist should be able to argue the presence of pleasure. I mean, how do you explain so much needless joy in our world? We don't need all the colors that we have. God could have created everything to be black and white and gray. Instead, he gave us sunsets, mountain peaks, rainbows. God could have just made all food bland, right? And it still would have served its purpose of feeding the engine that is our bodies and providing the fuel that we need. Instead, he gave us taste buds that can experience thousands of different kinds of wonderful taste. And so here's what Solomon is saying. Life is hard. Live anyway. Suck the marrow out of life, so to speak. I read a story about a guy by the name of S.L. Potter. He lived out in California. And on his 100th birthday, he said he wanted to try bungee jumping. His 100th birthday, he wanted to try bungee jumping for his birthday. Now, his children, who are between the ages of 68 and 74, which is just crazy, um, they weren't too keen on the idea, right? But he went anyways. And on his 100th birthday, he climbed a 200-foot tower and successfully bungee jumped. And I love this. His first words when they unhooked him from the harness, uh, took the cord off, he said, give me back my teeth. <laughs> I love that. But I believe the world needs more witnesses of people who are fully alive, right? People need to see Christians who are fully living and alive while we're still alive. But to be fully alive, you need a take that death cannot take. And that's where Solomon ultimately disappoints. And a man by the name of Saul, or Paul, I should say, proves to be wiser. Paul is in prison. He has no idea if his dash is done or if it's going to get extended. But here's what he says, Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I will trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or I die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying, well, that's even better. You see, Paul was not into missed management. He had a life purpose that could not be missed, even if he died. And so Paul would say, you could be pointless driven and be a cynic. You can be pleasure driven and have a party. But for me, I'm going to be purpose driven. Because at the end of the day, all of Solomon's advice still has a, it's all about me ring to it. 
And as long as life is about you, you will stay frustrated because you can't manage mist. But Paul's take was that it's all about Christ. And if exalting Christ with your dash is your aim, then you're not going to miss your target, no matter how short or long your dash may be. He says, my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I'm living or whether I die. And life will never be a waste if it's lived for the glory of God. And so if your life feels meaningless, without purpose right now, it's likely one of two problems. Either, number one, you have the wrong goal. You're, you're, you're chasing the created. You're chasing myths. You're chasing the things that this world says are important or that give you value. Or you've got the right goal, the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, but you're picking the wrong way to get there. You know, in some ways, I, I think the, the, the authentic secularist, the, the one who kind of believes there is no God, it's all about pleasure in this life. I, I think the authentic secularist lives a more genuine life in some ways than a phony believer. I, I mean, the authentic secularist says it, it's, it's all about more physical pleasure or a bigger house or a better degree, and he's going to chase after that. He's going to live authentically to his goal. Now, in the end, his goal obviously is going to disappoint. It's going to come up way, way, way short but at least he's living consistently with, with his goal, with his stated goal. How much more frustrating must it be to have a stated goal, the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, and then for us to live chasing mist? We're chasing things that are so opposite of what we say our goal is. And so either change your goal or change your strategy. You know, last week I closed our teaching time by challenging us to pray the prayer that Moses closes his song with in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 14 says, Satisfy us, O Lord, with your unfailing love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Because here's the deal. When life hits you hard, and it will, right? It will. For some of us, we're dealing with stuff now. Maybe it's been few months ago, maybe it's on the horizon for others of us. Life will hit you hard. And when it does, and it comes at you fast, and you don't know which way is up and which way is down, and you're going through incredibly difficult times, you better have something solid and constant and eternal, like the love of God to stand on. Because in those moments, this won't help. You see, if you have a pulse, then you have a purpose. And nothing can frustrate that purpose because Jesus Christ went into a tomb and he turned a cul-de-sac into a thoroughfare, an eight-lane or more interstate highway. And now life and death are under the sun, the real sun, S-O-N. And so in that great chapter on resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul could say in verse 58, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It's never missed. It's never vain. It's never meaningless. Even if it's just a cup of cold water, Jesus says, if it's done for him, then it still has meaning. It matters. And it matters forever. 
Because this, under the Son of God, we see the fatality of futility. Under the S-O-N, we see the fatality of futility. Jesus has ended it. He buried it. Death no longer holds the trump card. It has been, it has been defeated by the one who is above the Son. And that means that anything I do for him matters and will last. And you don't have to spend your life chasing and trying to catch and possess and manage vapor. But you do need a missed take that will protect you from that mistake. So don't build a life on vapor. Only what is done for the glory of God will last. And the cool thing is it will be placed in a heavenly treasure where it will never be missed.